Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And this month we are joined by a very special guest. She is a consent educator, an arts writer, she has a master's in feminist and queer theory, and she is a film and TV enthusiast. Please welcome to the podcast, Julia Craig. <laughs> Thanks for having me guys it's, I'm so excited It's great to have you with us So thank you so much for giving up your Friday evening uh, And talking to us about two fantastic films Well, fantastic, we shall see Each month of Cinema in Context We discuss two films One current and one retrospective With some connection They could be the same director, the same actor Or a similar theme This month we are discussing Promising Young Woman Which in New Zealand came out this year 2021 and Thelma and Louise, which came out in 1991. And the connection being, they are both female revenge flicks uh, focused around, I guess, let's, let's just call it what it is, sexual assault. And kind of how society deals with this big topic. And I guess I should say at this point that we will be talking about sexual assault and uh, domination and power and dynamics like that, as well as potentially trauma. So please be warned that those will be topics in our discussion today. As well as spoilers for both of these movies. So if you haven't seen Promising Young Woman or Thelma and Louise, I would suggest pausing this podcast and coming back to it at a later date. Right, let's hear about Thelma and Louise. William, tell us a bit about this 1991 epic. Epic? Yeah, that's a good word. Directed by Ridley Scott, written by Kelly Curry. It details the, I guess, the escapades of Thelma and Louise, uh, a kind of hard-boiled waitress and her best friend, who is a ditzy housewife, thoughts, as they go on a weekend out fishing at a cabin, and then everything goes awry. Brilliant. And Promising Young Woman. Sarah, give us a bit of an overview. So Promising Young Woman is written and directed by a British actress and filmmaker called Emerald Fennell. What a fantastic name. And incidentally, she plays Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. Amazing. She, she wears the frumpiest sweaters. She does. But in this film, she casts her star, Carrie Mulligan, in the most beautiful sweaters. Carrie Mulligan plays a young woman called Cassie, just turned 30, still living at home and working as a barista. Despite the fact that she was on the track to becoming a doctor, uh, but years ago at medical school she dropped out because of the uh, traumatic um, rape of her best friend. And ever since then, Cassie has eschewed the life of, um, you know, success and, and um, medical life. And instead, she lives at home and she spends her weekends going out to bars where she poses as an incredibly drunk young woman, um, lures supposed nice guys into thinking that they might take her home and do her a favor. But in fact, these young men, um, try to engage her in non-consensual sex until she teaches them a lesson. I want to say brilliant, but it feels a bit off to say brilliant after that last statement. <laughs> it is pretty brilliant. And the film. It's pretty exhilarating when you watch it play out. Yeah. Yeah, where do we want to start? Where should we, where should we jump in? Sometimes what we do is we go around and we say, well, how did we feel about uh, either of the films? I mean, I know... Uh, we haven't dis we have not spoiled and discussed this beforehand, but I have inklings that we are all coming at these with different views. So, uh, is it time to lay our cards on the table? I don't know. Let's, let's start with promising a woman because I oh, think that's okay. the, that's the controversial more controversial one. of the two. <laughs> yeah. I would say. 
Yeah. I was going to tell my weird story about Thelma and Louise. Oh, go on. Um, this is just something that, that completely popped up because this time watching it for the podcast, this was my first time watching the whole movie in its entirety. Wow. Uh, which is quite interesting because, you know, it's obviously a very well-known movie and it's it's one of those, you know, classics. It's enshrined in so many best of lists. But the only part of the movie I had seen beforehand was the final five minutes. And this was as part of a university bursary study course at the University of Auckland. This must have been 2003. Mm -hmm. And they just spoiled the entire movie. Like... Mm -hmm. That was very, thought, very mean. Maybe they thought you'd had 12 years to watch it, and therefore possibly, people possibly. probably knew the ending of Thelma and Louise, you know, <laughs> but okay. But that, that's all I knew, was that uh, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, you know, um, Louise and Thelma, end up holding hands, making a death pact, and going off a cliff. Oh, no. And so watching it this time was like, okay, like, I kind of know what the ending is. How do we build up to that point? And it was a really in- interesting experience. Hmm. I feel like I had that same experience. I feel like... The first time I watched it, maybe like six or eight years ago, I knew what the ending was because I feel like The Simpsons had done that ending in a Simpsons episode. Yeah. Simpsons! Yeah. yeah, so I also had that same experience because The mm-hmm. Simpsons had spoiled it for me. Because it's like an iconic pop culture scene and pop culture reference now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't remember when I first saw the film. I definitely saw it when I was probably a teenager or maybe, you know, early 20s and remember really enjoying it. I don't know if I yeah, knew the ending or not, but um, watching it again this time, equally thrilling. I had a really great time and I was really impressed at the relevance of this movie to today. Like there wasn't too much really at all that was like, oh, that's... that's mm, That that's, wouldn't happen mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah, well, this is dealt sure. with in a really gross way. Yeah. Like I thought there was... And we can get into this more, but I thought representation was pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to call a movie Thelma and Louise when it's dealing with issues it's dealing, they kind of, I guess it's beholden on the film for there to be very limited female characters. I don't know if that was conscious or not, but it seems to be... I was thinking, why is it called Thelma and Louise? There are really only two... They're the only two female characters, really. There's a waitress that has a couple mm, of lines. Mm. Um, so I don't know. That's something that I'd be keen to unpack as well. Um, but yeah, on a whole, I just... I had a fantastic time. Sarah, what was I, your experience? I, uh, I am one of those people at the table who was old enough to see it first time round in the cinema. And I will have been last year of high school, or probably by the time it got here, early days of university perhaps. Because remember in the olden days, young people, uh, the movies would come out in America and we wouldn't get them for like sometimes 18, 18 months or two years. Two Anyhow, years? Sometimes. Wow. I mean, sometimes you would know that a film was out there and that you were waiting in little old New Zealand for a heck of a long time for it. I guess so, they would print them, right? And ship exactly. them. And so there'd be no... Mm. The, the big, prints go around the world. And the big blockbuster model of everything opening on the same day and weekends being the big it. thing mm-hmm. wasn't the focus. So no. why would you get a print really quickly to New Zealand? And there was no piracy and we, weren't a, we weren't, wouldn't have been a big market. So Thelma and Louise, I absolutely didn't know what was happening. And it was a breathtaking film. And you are so with those women. And, and I, 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 you know, I would, I would wager there isn't anybody in the audience who isn't rooting for them, really. And, uh, and suddenly they're in this ridiculous situation of there being them, the cops behind them, and a cliff in front of them. And it, was, it, it beggars belief that they would go over the edge. It, it is the most brave and extraordinary Hollywood ending, mm-hmm. probably, or, you know, until one that we might be about to talk about, um, in terms of, uh, I can't believe they did that. And so I've seen it many times since. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that my husband and I, I think he hadn't seen it. I'm not sure. But we watched it in lockdown last year. 
watching it again for this podcast, I felt really emotional watching it. And funnily enough with the music, which is not my typical genre of music, just that wow, kind of, and I sort of felt almost a bit choked up knowing as I'm watching these women driving through the desert, having these experiences changing so incredibly in ways that we'll discuss, I felt really emotional knowing what was going to befall them, mm-hmm. you know? It's interesting you bring up the ending because, uh, you know, the one of the things about this movie is that the studio were trying to change the ending because they didn't mm. want to end in that way. Uh, and the only reason that they didn't is because they couldn't think of a better ending. What, I mean, what can you do? What can you do? They couldn't have turned around with one pistol and shot anybody worth a damn. Well, it could be the Bonnie and Clyde ending, right? That could be a possibility. Oh, of course. But that's not going to be any better than them. No. I mean, that's way worse. <laughs> it's, it is way worse. Um, and, oh, yeah. Well, but, I have some strong argument that there is that female characters are trapped who ever want to undertake some any form of rebellion will be trapped into death. Mm. So I was like typical that they'll be killed <laughs> because any female character that I can mostly think of who hasn't got some romantic male lead to save paralleling them, them and mm. opposite them if they're a lone female character and they're rebelling in some kind and if they're not the chick from brave they will die mm. but do you mean they'll be they'll die because somebody kills them rather than they'll die of their own volition by choosing the freedom of I going over the cliff I think it's often the that what the latter but I, I, I guess we'll get into this later, but mm. I am upset about that fate that all women are kind of destined to. And do you feel, though, Julia, at the same time, you're not sure how they might have written, that, written their way out of that? Yes. And yeah. oh, well, that's, that's the trope, I think, that mm. we're falling into and that what Promising Young Woman falls into that I was disappointed with. Mm. I'm definitely keen to talk more about Promising Young Woman, but with... with Romeo and Juliet with <laughs> Thelma and Louise it's kind of similar though right Romeo and Juliet totally, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> both died then um, but with Thelma and Louise and, and Julia just to kind of unpack your thoughts because I hear you in terms of like it being a trope and it's similar to the you know the gay characters trope there always seems to be one of them dies by the end mm. of the movie and, you know they never get a happy ending um, but this film is so steeped in the fact that the that society is mm. not set up for them to to break out, right? Totally. They are, they, and that's the whole thing that motivates them to not go to the police. Mm. Louise says they're not going to believe us, you know. Mm. And there's that wonderful subtext that she's been here before. They don't really like the closest mm. they get to it is um, Thelma asking her quite point blank, but she still doesn't say. And she has knowledges about how the court systems are going to go, mm. how she's not going to be believed. But Harvey Keitel's cop does say to her on the phone, "I know what happened in Texas." Louise. So my recollection from the first time of the film is that, yeah, it's alluded to and we never know. But actually, in, in this viewing, I was like, actually, a lot of people are quite explicit. I'm not going through Texas, Thelma, and um, you never told me what happened, and I'm not going to talk about it. And there seem to be other things, I think, that well, make like, it really think Louise, clear. Louise saying, how do you know about all this stuff? Yes. And she knows about the court proceedings? I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's just cool. But yeah, I don't know, how do you, what is your, because I, I fully respect that frustration. Yeah. But what do you think about that in terms well, of being... I, I approached this movie a few days ago being like leaning back like all smug in my chair being like all right let's see how this stacks up in like 2021 like let's see if this stands and I was actually so surprised how like like I was definitely I, I could tell I was trying hard to be like well that's wrong and that's sexist even though da 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 and I was like, wow, this is actually such a successful movie. Mm. And because I remember I watched it the first time because it was like, this was my like ex-boyfriend and he, we were go- he was going through a Ridley Scott 
face. It's, that's who the director is. That? Yeah. yeah. And so we're watching all these Ridley Scott. That's movies. a pretty good face to go through. Yeah. <laughs> As a Ridley Scott fan, I approve. Yeah. 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 And then so when I was watching it this just a few days ago, I was like, man, this is such a great movie just because of the Ridley Scottness of it. And then I was also like, oh, man, they're actually really nailing these really nuances of rape culture. I could really appreciate it. And I was like, this is so good for 1991. Yeah. A male director mm-hmm. really nailing it and not like not being heavy handed about it. You know, just like alluding to certain things. So for Thelma and Louise, I got that they had to die and I kind of accepted it. But with Promising Young Woman, which we will get to in comparison, mm. I do actually think. Thelma and Louise is, has a better reason for them to die, and I'll get into that. Well, let's cool. let's get into promising a young woman, yeah, and um, I'm happy to jump in first, kind of piggyback off what Julia just said. For me, I was having an absolute blast in this movie until she <laughs> died. I was so disappointed, and it's not so much that she died. I think it's coming back to what you mentioned before in terms of Thelma and Louise. She didn't die of her own volition. Not that I'm advocating for suicide by any means, but it's like. There is a choice in Thelma and Louise. They're stuck in between a rock and a hard place, mm. and you know they the, the film finishes literally on an up. The car's on mm-hmm. an up, or you know just about to fall down. But with promising young woman, she gets killed by that guy. All of the men are horrible in that movie, by the way, like just horrible. Which I guess is the point it's trying to make, but it's just like I, I would say more so that. All the people in that movie are horrible. Yes, yes. It, it's no much more misanthropic, uh, yes. misanthropic than misandrist. I think it's it's really, really making a point that it's everyone that's responsible for every every little thing happening in this kind of systemic, you know, horror. And also, interestingly, some people do think, and and Carrie Mulligan and the the director accept this as well, that Cassie is not a blameless, gorgeous, perfect character so it's okay for us to actually go why did you do that that is not a cool thing to have well done. I, I think that's the strength of the movie yes because right? yeah. cassie that's is right. i mean she, on paper and on screen she is an awful person who does awful things and we're supposed to root for her and we kind of do sometimes and we kind of don't the other times and just that flip-flopping of you know following your main character as she kind of enters the self-destructive cycle that ends in something really, really bad happening. So mm. she's the anti-hero, right? Which is, to make the anti-hero, anti-hero likable, you've got us surrounded by worse people. Mm. And they do that really successfully. But I hear your point in terms of everybody's horrible. But yeah, my, my thoughts. I mean, maybe we'll go around, go around this way. William, what's your yeah, sure. reaction? Um, I'm so happy you think this way, Jeremy, because I, I'm i going to make a juvenile comparison to the film Monsters University. He, he, um, can I just say, Julia, as a guest, he always manages to talk about an animated You guys, movie. cartoons are so much deeper than you think. <laughs> Do you like so, my reference to Brave, though? Yes, yeah. I love your reference to Brave. So, in the film Monsters University, which was the prequel to Monsters Incorporated, um, the movie is, it's fine. There's some funny jokes. The characters are pretty well well worn out. Uh, the voice acting is good. It's just a fine Pixar effort, right? They have a scaring contest in university. Ooh, you know, it's very low-stake stuff. And then the film finishes Act 3 and goes into Act 4. And the fourth act is so good. And this is how I feel about Onward as well, that Pixar movie. Um, it elevates the film to something really, really intense, but also emotional. Like, it really says something. Um, I mean, kind of spoilers, but the, the thing it's talking about 
is how you deal with disability, right? And how you enter a, a world that just isn't ready for your thing. Are you special because you're special? Or, or you know, all that stuff. And mm. it, it nails it. And the ending is so good that the rest of the movie becomes great, in my opinion. Mm. Um, I think it's severely underrated. Can I just, just, I know you're going to make a comparison, but I freaking love that movie. And I was really hoping that you were, I just love Monsters University. I love it too. Oh, oh I'm so happy. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, so back, so, back but, to this comparison. <laughs> Promising Young Woman in 2020, to me, as I was watching it, as I was going along, it felt like the anti-Monsters University. And that I know people have compared it to like a, a live grenade in your hand. And the tension just keeps ramping up and up. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. All the scenes have, have so much going on in them. There's layers. The characters are great. Uh, and then you hit the fourth act. And to me, it's a house of cards that doesn't just kind of fop, 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 fop. It crumbles into dust. I think the ending is so bad that it ruins what comes before. Uh, I, I have things to say about uh, Cassie actually dying. I think there's good things and bad things to that decision. But what happens after she dies is like from a completely different movie. Uh, and we're supposed to feel happy about this? I like, felt happy <laughs> about it! They left her in a burned up piece of rubble. I, I, I would felt, have been devastated. I, I, okay, sorry, Sarah. I, I think... <laughs> I, I would I would have ra I would rather have been devastated than felt disappointed. Sure. And the ending just left me with such a bleh, uh. taste in my mouth. Like, well, I guess they did it. Yeah. I'm um, not happy about well, that at all. Well, sister, what do you think? <laughs> okay, so going into this movie, I saw the trailer first, and I was like, yes, this is the film for me. And um, watching the film, uh, yeah, the first few acts, the first two acts, I was like, wow, this is so therapeutic. This is my life projected on screen. And I loved that she was this, like, anti-hero. This poison that was in her has been in me. What she was doing and enacting, I have had many fantasies about. Mm. Being mm. in her position, you know, as a woman, the only actual recourse that you have is like vigilanteism. Mm. Is that the word? Vigilanteism? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can't go to the school. You can't go to your employer. They're not going to do anything. The police, definitely not going to do anything. And it's like, well, would you want to put yourself in that position anyway? So you, you, what you're left with is fantasizing about ruining this man's life in some way. So I found it so cathartic to watch it on screen. And then, yeah, when she died, I was like far out she's gonna die and this is such a good lesson for everyone to show that no matter what you do you if you put yourself in the way of a man and his um ego and his defensiveness yeah yeah you you're gonna experience violence so when she died i was like man this is clever this is actually super clever of them because they're showing yeah, you can have all this like fun, fancy, being uh, having fun, being sexy and violent, but ultimately you're actually at the whim of a man and that you are putting yourself in extreme danger. And then when they had that fun like Angel in the Morning song yeah. and I was in the moment stoked. I was like, yes, 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 yes. So you didn't mind the fourth, fourth, well, the, the, the sort yeah, of the epilogue. When, but when I left the cinema, I felt 
actually, I felt disappointment as well. I was like, Ugh, they just wrapped it up nicely with a little bow, but she still died. Mm. She still had to die. Again, she had to be this heroine who dies to get any sort of um, recourse. And that is super disappointing. And like a sacrificial lamb, right? Because yes, her, yeah. th- Because the dude, Al Whatnot was done for her murder, not for the rape of yes, Nina. Yes, she could only get this guy by through dying. her death. Yes. But if she had just died, if we cut out that epilogue, as you say, mm. she would have died, and hopefully, as an audience, we would have been like, started to think about that there is actually no recourse for women and that you put yourself in death's hands to do that. Also, I did have quite a few problems with the film, and I wanted to love it so much. And I came in with having high... I see this movie, and movies like it, not like other movies. I think movies like this really have high stakes. And I'm like, you better get this right, Mm. because it can be defining of how people view rape culture. So I was like, they better get it right, or they're going to be super disappointed. And then I quite immediately had lots of disappointments, and I was like, oh, come on, they brought me out of it. I was like... She just confronts these dudes and so easily has this very satisfying back and forth with them and, like, tells them how it is and then just stalks off and they're, like, feeling sad. And I was like, if only it would be that easy to confront men about their poor behaviour. If you were in a man's house confronting him about him, you were putting yourself in harm's way. Mm. No one could do that in real life. And really annoying thing as well is when she was being catcalled and she stopped and just stared at them. And there were two men of colour, and she was this white lady, dressed very proper, and just staring them down. As if it's like, hey ladies, why don't you just do that? Why don't you just stare at them? And they'll get all uncomfortable and they'll leave. And it was like, well, no, you actually can't do that in real life. So, uh, I, f- I hear you 100%. And so far, I'm with my sister on these. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, but I would say, in that particular scene, because I then rewatched the film in order to yeah. be able to compare it back to Thelma and Louise. So there's a couple of things just to respond to that. I mean, you're so right, Julia, that our feeling very much is if you, you have it out with a man who is aggressive enough to behave in the way that the men in the film do, then you are putting yourself in at risk of similarly violent or horrible behavior. So the interesting thing when she's walking in bare feet down the street in the, the stark light of morning and she's eating something is that she's got oh, red it like blood. And, it, and it's ambiguously, yeah, you think initially and she's jelly. got it down her leg as well. And mm. you're like, oh, so was there some sort of fracas mm. um, or mm. was there not, or is it just ketchup? And I, mm. and I know that the, from reading some interviews with the, the writer director, that there was an intentional sort of ambiguity, ambiguity. there. And I think what's interesting to me about the, the cat calling men is the minute that she stares them down, they get abusive in the way that the bloke in the, the horrible, dirty cat in the big truck who can hardly speak through his mouth all that day and who they shoot his truck in Thelma and Louise. He turns on them the minute that he knows that they're being a little bit hoity-toity and a little bit like, you're disgusting and da-da-da, you know, and it turns to a real aggressive you're a C or you're a B or you're a whatever. You know what I mean? Mm, um, you're right. They do escalate it. Absolutely. But then they eventually walk away. Yeah. In, in Promising Young Woman? In Promising Young Woman. And I remember that part really was just like, oh, come on. Mm. Like, it just felt like it was kind of like, hey, ladies, why don't you just try this? And mm. it's like, yeah, it's not realistic. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And sure. if you're trying... I remember saying at the time, I wish they pushed this forward and it became more of a horror rather than this kind of thriller rom-com even. 
because it could have pushed it to the extreme and not had to rely on some sort of realism that this is what you can expect in life and this is how you can maybe deal with it and yeah, it yeah. might be fun. But if they pushed it into this like horror realm, I think I would have enjoyed it more and it would have been more you. of a revenge film. And, and also like they could have used the, the, the relevance of that topic and kind of starting discussions about complicity because that's what I did really appreciate was that there was this complicity machine that was around mm-hmm. which doesn't always get mm. depicted in films very mm. successfully but almost like as a jumping off point so that they could avoid being too preachy and yeah but more of a horror like I think about the movie Green Room that we've talked about before mm. yeah. and how that starts off in one place and kind of goes have you seen Green Room? No. It's amazing it has nothing to do with rape revenge <laughs> it's it's about white there's a white supremacy kind of oh yes um, I've heard it's of it. amazing yeah. it was Narrative. my top it film of several years ago film? No. no it's totally it's just real just neo-nazi yes yeah. just neo-nazi yeah yeah <laughs> but it's, that's, that's a film where that really pushes it into that sort of horror territory in places yeah, yeah. genre right my, yeah. Really, yeah. I mean I 100% respect what you say Julie but my feelings about I was so glad that it didn't slip into horror territory is because there is a whole genre of rape revenge horror kind of movies you know and there, back in the day there was I Spit on Your Grave mm-hmm. and apparently there's a TV series no not a TV series like a a franchisey kind of something of I Spit on Your Grave which is a, a rape revenge mm-hmm. film and I was glad that this one didn't go that way partly because I'm not mad on horrors and partly because I always feel that horror um, sort of moves things into the realm of not realistic I mean god willing you know Mm. I tend not to visit cabins in woods just so I never have to test that theory not even to fish not even not even Um, just in case but do you know what I mean like so I didn't really want it to go um, all kind of horror I wanted to try and keep it almost realistic I would have Loved it to stay as it is if it just got a few things not yes. so terribly wrong. Yes. The worst thing for me was that lawyer begging for forgiveness yes. when she came in. And I was like, that to me brought it out. And I was like, mm. you do not, you're not really getting how rape culture is the norm. And it's normalized. And it's the easy thing to do for, for defense lawyers to defend a rapist is the easy thing to yes. do. The hard thing to do is to help a woman who's accusing a man of rape they have the hard job yeah because that's the harder thing to convince society that women aren't asking to be raped yes or they'll just destroy the the victim's credibility yeah Um, exactly and Mm. so when he was all oh i'm so sorry i can't haven't been able to live with myself and i've been waiting for someone to come and kill me yeah I was like, whatever. And totally, this I did never happened. Yeah, I thought that was a misstep yeah. just I, as a scene. I didn't mind that scene, but it's because I was under the false pretense that this was a character study, right? So for me, those scenes were less about a commentary on the system at large. It was like this character was used to oh, reflect yes. her state and like what the she dean, was willing. Like the dean, for example. Like what she's willing to do. The dean, yeah. And like yeah. what she's willing to do. And like that story with the dean's daughter. And mm. then, you know, and then, but this man, like she is. She does have capacity to forgive. It showed you what she wanted. And so I, I didn't have that same reaction. I fully see what you're saying, but I was like, cool, it's a character study. Mm-hmm. But then it wasn't because she flippin' dies at the end. So, you know, like <laughs> she didn't survive. And I was just like, oh, she's not the person that we're left with. It really just yeah. well, didn't work. I, I mean, <laughs> on top of that, I, I find the the scene with Alpha Melina as the lawyer, uh, it was also interesting in that that was the, the one character on her list where she got what she wanted and yet she was left even more empty than before, right? Because there was uh, that great that great scene with the thug afterwards, and we're still getting paid and all that. 
Um, and yeah, I, I kind of agree, Jeremy. Just it, it was much more about her than it was about him, right? It was about how she could get everything she wants in these scenarios, and yet nothing is enough mm. because she's already calcified and dead inside. Yes. And, and interestingly, though, with the, the lawyer, and I didn't love that scene, and that's why it got four stars from me and not five. <laughs> um, but interestingly, though, she is then able to use that lawyer at the end. Yeah. She, he's the guy to whom she sends the, if, if, I, if you receive this, something has happened to me, and he's able, in a way, to get redemption for his behavior. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and so, I don't know. What's, so you said four stars. We haven't actually yes. got to your... Yeah, I was, ex- I was exhilarated through the whole film. And um, even though I don't have quite such visceral uh, lived experience or um, sort of uh, empathy, I suppose, with the situation, it was exhilarating to watch. And I agree with you, Julia, about the fantasizing that goes on in many people's heads, perhaps predominantly women in terms of wanting to get back at situations um, that have been pernicious and uh so and in that regard oh my gosh you're watching somebody live out this most amazing i mean it's the same to be fair in thelma and louise we love i say we i can't speak for everybody but we love that they shoot the guy's truck and we love that well we love that harlan gets shot because he deserves it um, and uh, it's incredibly satisfying in that regard. Um, but anyway, I really enjoyed Promising Young Woman. I, I simultaneously adored the fact that she just looked so glorious. I loved her shaggy mane of hair. I loved her, her pastel um, rainbow-colored uh, nail varnish and her fluffy jumpers. I loved the burgeoning relationship with Bo Burnham, who I am not familiar with from his amazing comedy career. Did you watch the Netflix show? I did not yet, I forgot. But I loved him. And and apparently there are people whose response to the film has been that they were so upset that Cassie didn't take Ryan back. Um, but, the, but you know, my riposte to that would be, there's that moment where he's, where you think, ah, oh, could, could she forgive him? It was a long time ago. And... But then, when he disavows all knowledge of her, yeah. and you know he's a creep as well, uh, it's like, yeah, he didn't deserve um, to be with well, her he, and he's all the, that. He's the bystander, right? He was right. a bystander seven years ago, he's the bystander but now. He'd, but he, he has the offer of redemption, then he doesn't take it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key thing. Uh, and, and, and for me, there was this longing when the cop knocks on his door and says, oh, you're a, a pediatrician, thank you for your work, and can I ask you these questions? And you just see this dead look on his face, you see him lie, uh, and you think, oh, okay, right. So that's how this is going to go. Uh, which is why, and look, we often we often talk about this, Julia. I love a story tied up in a bow at the end. And I know <laughs> that you guys are much more sophisticated and that you can handle ambiguity and, and untied ends. But I loved the ending because I watched that scene and that long take and she's on the bed and the legs are going and you're thinking to yourself, holy mackerel, how long does it take for somebody to be suffocated? And then you see it happen and you're like, really? They went there? And I was part exhilarated that again, they would do this brave ending and part appalled because why would you want her to die? And, and I would have been bereft if they'd left it at that. So mm-hmm. I needed the, uh, the whole retribution thing at the end and the ruining of his pathetic wedding and all that sort of thing. They had tambourines, Sarah. Not pathetic. No, no, but do you know what was so mean? They had tambourines in a really kind of lame, mocking way. They were like, oh, let's see if we can have some new agey bridesmaids or something, doing something a little bit hippie, and we'll laugh at that. So, uh, funnily enough, I thought that that was a little bit bit lame and a bit 
sappy. What, tambourines? What are you going This was just about? at the wedding right at the very, oh, very end. <laughs> but can I just say, there is some ambiguity around uh, whether Cassie knew when she went to the bachelor party that there was a chance or indeed whether she knew she was going to die, whether she was putting herself in harm's way, etc. And um, She surely had to know. I thought she, when knowing that she was going to die and she set up all that Well, stuff. she knew, but she knew there would be a chance, a chance. that it would happen. It's not that she was going yeah. to... Right. But then I thought maybe because that whole time, you know, she's obsessing, she's fixed in that time when her friend di- uh, died. Yes. Because she's still in that childhood, as you say, the fluffy jumpers. So it's like she's fixed to being 21 or however old she was. Yeah. So she's frozen in time and can't get out. So she like has to die. So I, when I looked back, I was like, maybe she knew that all along that she would eventually die after she had done all that revenge. Right. Because she, there was no other point to living because she was only living for revenge at that point. Which ties back to what you say, William, about the, the whole sort of, um, she's just sort of consumed by it and she's, yeah. she's just going... To, she's dead inside. That's right. right. She's yeah. dead inside and she's yeah. doing all of these actions and still isn't feeling like she's got any redemption mm-hmm. or can... Which I think on. is slightly muddied by the fact that she really struggles to live when she's about to be killed, but then maybe that's just the, the human body reaction. I think it is. Well, yeah. I think it is human yeah. nature. And, yeah. you know, I've seen a lot of movies lately where somebody chucks a pillow on somebody and the body always struggles even if it was a would-you-mind putting me out of my misery sort but, of but I, I agree Sarah that scene was exhilarating but also exhausting to watch because yeah. you're like oh my gosh this is in real time yeah. like and his acting is superlative yeah. like he's amazing you what? see his desperation she's brilliant like no, I think yes, she's but I mean when she's well. under the pillow I know she's no longer that she's I mean the Carrie Mulligan has been touted as, as you know being nominated for the Academy Award I mean she mm-hmm. deserves a better clue than that Nothing else has come out this year. Um, but I think she was fantastic. And can I just say, Jennifer Coolidge as her mother. Wasted, I thought. Yeah. Uh, it was what a so... waste of Jennifer Coolidge. I, know. Yeah. I, I like, love Jennifer, Jennifer Coolidge Brown. and Clancy Brown. Cool. I like these guys. Oh, you okay. Died That's her right. Head. Brown. Guys, it's not their movie. No, I think she I think she did it on purpose because she wanted to do some just <clears> more oh. kind of straight roles. But there's right. definitely one line in that movie where she's improvises something. It's such a Jennifer Coolidge joke. And she asks I can't remember what she asks the the boyfriend guy. She asks him a, a really dumb question. It's gone from my brain right now. Oh, are your parents really are your parents proud of you? And he <laughs> yeah, says, he no, says no. They wanted me to be a DJ. Yeah. And she's like, oh. It's a great joke, but there's yeah. one where she asks him something very Jennifer Coolidge, which I cannot remember. But it's wonderful. But talking about Thelma and Louise, mm. the the characterizations there are far more realistic. And mm. we'll get to all of the side characters because I think there's some really fascinating, particular mm. men, the romantic men in that, that film are interesting. <laughs> but um Thelma herself and how she is the like you said this kind of ditzy housewife. Louise takes charge and then she has the sexual awakening. Yeah, right. I yeah. Mean, she, how could you not with Brad Pitt? Yeah, yeah. 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 I he mean, was gorgeous. Don't they reckon yeah. this was the film where his abs were became the, the big one of the biggest stars of the movie? <laughs> and, and may I just say very quickly that the lovely thing, even though this is a Brad uh, Bradley, a Ridley Scott directed film, and the cinematographer is a man, that was the beautiful thing I noticed about Thelma and Louise is there's plenty of female gaze. So mm-hmm. it isn't just Thelma in her exquisite bikini. There's a whole lot of Brad Pitt, and I salute them for that. But we'll talk more about who was actually calling the shots in Thelma and Louise in just a second. <laughs> Getting back to you. Well, I just think her, her development as a character is such a satisfying arc. She, she Th- really... Uh, Thelma? Thelma, Tina? when yes. she has that moment where she yes. takes... When, when Louise has kind of lost it, when the money's been stolen, 
and she just says, come on, Thelma. Oh, sorry, come on, Louise. Let's go. Let's go for it. And then she yeah. makes things happen. And then she's the one that, you know, puts the gun to the policeman's head. And it, it really levels them up as opposed to, you know, it just being Louise kind of calling the shots. Yeah. And, and you'll notice how her costumes change by that stage as well, because after that, she's in jeans. She's in a denim shirt. Admittedly, she looks like sex on legs because she's Gina Davis, but her, her hair is different and mm-hmm. she's, and she loses her innocence, doesn't she? Um, and yeah, lo- yeah. And, and it, I love that her innocence is, she doesn't lose her innocence through the experience earlier in the film. It's when she has this, like she leads, she awakening. leads that whole situation with Brad Pitt. Mm. Um, Except and... she's in a little, not baby doll nighty, but kind of, eh? Her little nighty is like a little t-shirt dress nighty, <laughs> which is very, I don't want to say infantilizing. There's nothing actually suspect about it, but it's very ordinary. Do you know what I mean? It's not sexy or anything. It's just a long t-shirt. But um... I guess I just appreciated that it wasn't her, like, you know, that trope of the woman always kind of screaming in ecstasy, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Like it was, it was this clumsy sex scene they're sort of banging around the room both literally and figuratively um <laughs> and and like we talked about with the the kind of the the camera on brad pitt's yeah. sexuality she does do a bit of a rooster crow in the diner next morning though when she shows <laughs> louise the um love bite on her neck and says something like now i know what all the fuss is about yeah it's, it's so it's yeah. just a really satisfying story and i just think in terms of a story about yeah, I, I just found it really great. And then yeah. I think with the male characters, like the Brad Pitt character, um, he's fine. Um, but the uh, Michael Mads. <laughs> Look Michael... at him go. I love to watch him go. <laughs> <laughs> the Michael Madsen character is a really interesting, yeah. you know. Um, I, uh, I had character. no idea Michael Madsen was even in this movie. Mm. It's like, oh, he's or actually he, really good. Or that yeah. he could play a nice guy, yeah. right? Because that dude is typecast yeah. as horrible. Oh, and is he the guy from life? The Reservoir Dogs? Yes. yes. And as in real life, hasn't there been some... Yes, he's oh, a dreadful human um, being. And then, of course, Harvey Keitel. Allegedly. Right. Harvey Keitel's yeah. character is wonderful. And Stephen Turbulowski, yeah. a very young Stephen Turbulowski. Yes, he has more hair. And he's thin. <laughs> he's always yeah. eating. Why is he always eating? It's a lovely yeah. trope. Can I just say, I thought, you know, to be honest, one of the things I thought was good about Promising Young Woman is for me, I felt like the male characters were a little more nuanced um, and that they were a bit more um, Promising young woman? complex and Promising Young Woman. Really? I actually, no, okay, I didn't, um, I thought Bo Burnham's Ryan character uh, was 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 nuanced because he was complex, because he was delightful and gentlemanly and funny and adorable and he had this yeah. horrific past and i thought that was really important to show like yeah there is such a thing as a soft boy yes as opposed mm. to an f boy which is like these guys that the, ought to be feminist is that f for frat boy i'm not gonna say because i don't want to mark this podcast as explicit <laughs> Yeah, so not like yeah, that. Yeah, I thought Bo Burnham's character was important to be portrayed on screen because mm-hmm. it was like, guys like this are also lousy. Yes. And I thought it is very important to show the spectrum of lousiness in straight men. Yes. And that's what I thought Thelma and Louise was good at doing. Because I thought all the men, even... Um, Michael Madsen, is that his name? Yeah. yeah he yeah. was lousy to me. I was like, he's not. But he, was also, but he also had nice aspects. My, yes, that's my the initial thing. thought about Thelma and Louise, though, is that you've got these caricatures 
Um, but even if they are caricatures, they, they are multi-sided because yeah, Brad Pitt is sweet and loving and Miss Thelma this, and he's also a thief. But mm-hmm. I mean, look, I mean, if the only bad thing about him really is that he's a thief and a liar, no, that's not true. He was cocky in the interrogation room and he was a bit disparaging well, he's a kid. as well. Yeah. He's a kid, right? Don't make excuses. They're all kids. These guys <laughs> had to the, be slapped on the, the head. The guys who raped Nino were kids. But anyway, <laughs> um, but, but then I thought, oh... The Harvey Keitel character is a nice balance because he was really empathetic and really wonderful. So can I just say, I've read this fantastic BFI, British Film Institute, <laughs> modern classic on Thelma and Louise. And Kelly Curry, who is the scriptwriter of um, Thelma and Louise, actually wrote the men to be a little more nuanced. And apparently it was a decision by Ridley and the male actors to play their characters as just hmm. that little bit more over-the-top kind of awful. Um, so, Do you think that's like a particularly male decision to make? I don't They're know. Like, no, there's a certain type of guy who would do this. And oh, it's interesting. Not me. And I like Yeah, him. yeah. And it's like, no, honey, sit This down. was written to Every be... Every single man can be right. this way. And it's you don't have to... It's like putting it... No, that guy over there is a dick. But not me. Well, that's an interesting And point. not someone who has good traits, you know. So they mm. that's what I think. That, that's a particularly male decision. I will just say, though, to mitigate what might that comment of mine might sound like, Ridley and the men called the shots on Thelma and Louise. And apparently Ridley Scott said, no, they did not. That um, Louise and... Uh, Louise and Thelma. What are they? Gina and Susan and Callie Curry. Actually, Ridley Scott says they called the shots. Mm. And, I heard that as well. I, I, they yeah. pretty much co-directed the film, which and I, I think is tremendous. That. Yeah, and I yeah. can believe that from the overall film. Well, the yeah. scene with Michael Madsen, where they have that wonderful scene where they, you know, he, you know, they had that conversation in the motel room, and it's their relationship. And and he tries to propose to her, and she's like, you're only here because you thought I was leaving with another guy. Yeah, and that was originally scripted for them just to have sex. Mm. And Susan Serena was like, look, she's not. this is the last thing Louise wants to do in this situation. Mm. She's not going to be wanting to have sex. And so um, they rewrote that scene. And I also remember watching a documentary years ago. I don't know whether it was on the DVD or something, back when we used to watch DVDs. Um, And DVD extras. DVD extras. I miss DVD extras. I still do. Mr. Nerdimatron, we yeah. do. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember the writer, what's her name? Kelly Curry. Kelly Curry talking about um, the writing of that script and how much it was a part of her experience and how like she was drawing from the reality of what the scenario is. And you you can feel that sincerity, that authenticity through that script. So changes changes aside, there is this there does seem to be this real strength about Thelma and Louise in the nuance whether there's caricatures in there or yeah. not mm-hmm. that I don't feel as present in the same way in Promising Young Woman I feel like I have a confession to make and that for the first half of the movie I which movie? Thelma and Louise mm. I thought this I was like this is a bad movie because these are two binary black and white characters Susan who is Louise right mm-hmm, yes mm-hmm. Louise is the, the serious straight one and Thelma is the most annoying woman I've ever seen, ever. And mm. sh- I hate her so much. Oh. Get your is together. Yeah. Thelma, you are being so annoying. And then when it switches, well, not switches, they kind of become a bit more confident. And then, you know, Thelma has that whole, um, she robs the dairy or whatever. Oh, which is amazing. Using um, Brad Pitt's script. Yes. And, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> 
you know, they've got it right finally. Mm. I definitely felt like that. They had to do that. I felt that in that scene as well when Thelma's sort of crying on the bed. I'm like, I was like, Oh, oh, I don't know very many women. No, exactly. She just behave been like like that. Guys, less than twenty four hours, hours earlier, she was being raped yeah, by yeah. some dude who then got shot. But all up. But also, that, moreover than that, she was being sexually assaulted. Yeah, but I feel like that it was even before the event, before the assault. I found her like, oh, this is so like rude to women in general, like mm. just silly, hysterical women. But, but then it, it got. But then it righted itself eventually. But also, mm-hmm. there are some women like that. I know, but it's not misrepresentative. It's not. No, I'm not saying it's not mis. It's it's more dangerous in a way, or uh, foolish to show a woman like that on screen because it's it is definitely feeding into a, um, tr- a cliche or a you know a cliche, yeah a stereotype of woman that they're hysterical and silly and that they are nothing without. The strong male character, but which they do debunk mm. halfway through when Thelma. Except that, of course, Thelma is the one who drinks because, honey, my hair is coming down. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I've seen this film too many times. <laughs> um, um, I'm on my vacation, blah blah, and then she's all dancing with Harlan because he flatters her, etc., etc., and she's got her little dress off the shoulders and she looks amazing and she's oblivious to all of that. And it's interesting that that Louise touches upon that, where she says, no one's going to believe you, Thelma. Everybody's seen you dancing with him and drinking and acting like you were acting. And nowadays we would go, don't you victim victim blame? But what do we say? Victim shame? Whatever the word is. Victim blame. Right. Or, um, or is shame. Is shame. Um, you know, don't you say that. People can do whatever they want to. But... Louise is kind of saying something that... No, yeah, she was following the, the script of uh, this is what the police will say. Yeah, yes. yeah. And this is yeah. what the... And this is what society thinks. This is, yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, this is 1991, and she's saying that. That is so good, because we're still having arguments. I've had arguments with people about that, like, last year, that this is the kind of script people follow when they're accusing someone of asking for it mm. or lying. mm so I was like, wow, that's actually so cool. That was In a way, you mentioned, Jeremy, that there seems as if there's only two women in that film. And of course, the waitress is the, the other significant person who, incidentally, I looked up on IMDb and she's had a substantial career. Not that I can tell you anything she's done right now, but she's done a lot of stuff and is still working, which is great. But she's a total ally. She was because memorable, yeah. She was yeah. memorable. Um, she didn't quite have a character name, unfortunately. Um, so... In that regard, probably doesn't quite pass the Bechdel test. But nonetheless, um, but also she is lovely with them. She appreciates that Louise, who is also a waitress, gave her a big tip. Mm -hmm. And she also says to Harvey Keitel's character, well, Harlan, I wouldn't be at all surprised he would have had it coming or it could have been his wife. And so sort of absolutely backs up that he's the one to blame and therefore... you know, it's it wouldn't be that surprising. You know, which I don't know. I thought that was nice. I agree. Allyship. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And that yeah. kind of sets Harvey Keitel's character up as well for what he believes in uh, later down the road. Yeah, but yeah. ultimately, I felt like Harvey Keitel, uh, even though he was empathetic to their struggle, the movie was really good in showing this, there's a whole structure in place that's they're trapped in, and that despite Harvey Keitel being an empathetic detective and maybe putting good work it doesn't matter because the whole structure is against him yeah. the whole system is against him and they had no choice but to and drive, pretty, drive the grand Canyon. yeah <laughs> and he but he says that doesn't he he says things are only getting worse for you um yeah. 
and there's only a limit to what I can do and that kind of yeah. thing, which is extraordinary again for 1991. And I may just say that there was uh, an awful lot of academic uh, writing done around Thelma and Louise because there was a huge amount of outrage when that film came out, mm. which may beg a belief to us now. But there were there were female critics who were completely divided about whether it was morally reprehensible. And there was a female critic who says, um, I would not let any young, impressionable woman I know see this film. Uh, and I don't feel that we're having those sort of discussions around promising young women. I don't feel like I've not read anything that says, whoa, I don't want all the young people I know painting their nails multicolored but it's, and, it is, and seducing or whatever the word is, entrapping men in bars. It is R18 though. Which, what? Yeah, which really mm. surprised oh. me. And I was waiting the whole time for the R18 content. Oh. And there wasn't. So I'm no? assuming it was because it was a potentially adult topic. But I'm like, this would still be, like if it was done mm. in the way you talked about, Julia, or mm. you were hoping it to be done. It, it would be a really, really, useful. really yeah. important text. They even are 16, so you could show senior students and talk about consent. Yes. And complicity. Yes. that's. I, I didn't realise it was R18. Yeah. Um, can I just say, I did notice on the second watching, when I knew what I was getting into, at the very, very beginning of the film, of Promising Young Woman, mm-hmm. uh, maybe as the titles are going up or whatever, there's the music playing and there's those opening shots of paunchy men. Of butts. Yeah, dancing. The Charlie XEX song. And boys. That's right. And them all just looking like lame, office-working men, which I thought was gorgeous. To me, that is feminism on film. Because normally we're watching women with their booties and all that kind of dancing you know what i mean yeah. what a sad um, what a sad day that the, the mirror of of feminism on film is that you know? but, but, but how also can, how, can you imagine the casting process yeah <laughs> we need someone who's kind of paunchy and lame yeah. and probably a laughable dancer but, but about the music oh like there's Loved yeah it. the needle drops and oh, promising like young woman yeah are so good so good i <laughs> love the paris hilton song yeah. Do you remember? I didn't that, realize that's that's this par- that Paris Hilton song when they were dancing in the pharmacy. In the pharmacy. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, he says that. Yeah. Crazy, even though the stars are blind. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I love this because I felt like okay, they are they've got Paris Hilton, a maligned, hated woman. Yes. They've got Britney Spears, and we all know what happened to Britney Spears. And mm. that was the best. Well, it wasn't her; it was a cover. Yeah, that was the best. Song. The top yeah. cover, yeah. Was the top and it was song. it was Amazing. in the trailer, and that was the um, the one thing I remember remembered yeah. about the trailer was the toxic cover. Yeah. So two and Spice Girls. Yeah. Who are somewhat oh, which maligned. Spice Girls was it? Um, it to was, become yeah, one. Yeah. Oh, and she's in the taxi, going home with the dude in the very Jerry. first. Oh, yeah. yeah, Jerry. Yes. And then the last one, Angel in the Morning by June. Yeah. Someone, something or other. I really liked how on the nose that all yeah. those all were. Very, yeah, and I, I usually hate on the nose music, but I was like, <laughs> this totally works. Yeah. It was perfect. And, and it kind of fits within this weird, like, bubblegum pop world as well with the mm. lighting and especially yes. that pharmacy scene. It's like, this is America's most beautiful pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then... No, 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 no